Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, real out of the gate, uh, I got to thank Alan Sanders for filling in yesterday. His father-in-law passed away this weekend, and he still stepped up and was able to fill in yesterday. Really do appreciate him uh, doing that, given the circumstances. Thank you, Alan. Uh, be sure to subscribe to his podcast, The Alan Sanders Show, as well. Uh, the phone number here, if you want to be on the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Uh, delighted to have you with me. Hope you had a good weekend. Uh, our trip to the mountains did not happen. Uh, too much snow and ice and power outages and the like. So we bunkered down and stayed home. And, and by the way, I do now have the all clear, 100% clear, uh, on my concussion. I am, I am healed. Some of you may think otherwise, but I promise you I am. Now we must begin with the Gallup poll. Gallup is the most respected polling organization in America. They've been doing it longer than everyone else. And you will recall several years ago, the Gallup poll was a Disaster. I believe it was the 2012 presidential election. The Gallup poll was an unmitigated disaster. And exercising a level of humility no other pollster exercised, the Gallup polling organization said, we're done with presidential polling, at least for now. And they decided to go sit on the sidelines and try to figure out how to do better. And what they did, interestingly enough, behind the scenes, I'm led to believe, they continued to poll and not make it public, and they wanted to see if they could get their polling results to come close to the actual results over the last couple of presidential cycles. I suspect they'll get back, uh, but they've continued to churn out opinion polling on topical things, uh, the historic topical matters. And no one disputes the veracity of their ability to poll on these things. They've been doing it for years, and it does track with what other people show. And it is remarkable, one of their key findings. On average, Americans' political party preference in 2021 looked similar to prior years, with slightly more adults identifying as Democrat or leaning Democrat that identified as Republicans or leaning Republicans. However, the general stability for the full year average obscures a dramatic shift over the course of 2021 from a nine percentage point Democratic advantage in the first quarter to a rare five point Republican edge in the fourth quarter. These results are based on aggregated data from all Gallup telephone surveys in 2021, which include interviews with more than 12,000 randomly sampled U.S. adults. Gallup asked all Americans that identify interviews whether they identify as Republican, Democrat, or Independent. Independents are then asked whether they lean more towards the Republicans or Democrats. The combined percentage of party identifiers and leaners gives a measure of the relative strength of the two parties. Both the nine-point Democratic advantage in the first quarter and the five-point Republican edge in the fourth quarter are among the largest Gallup has measured for each party in any quarter since it began regularly measuring identification in 1991. The GOP has held as much as a five-point advantage in a total of only four quarters since 1991. 
The Republicans last held a five-point advantage in party identification and leaning in early 1995 after winning control of the House for the first time since the 1950s. Republicans had a larger advantage only in the first quarter of 1991 after the U.S. victory in the Persian Gulf War led by then-President George H.W. Bush. The last time Republicans held an advantage like this the last time the GOP was able to surge ahead was 2010, where they actually got tied in 2010 headed into 2011. Do you know where the biggest momentum shift came for the Republicans? The biggest shift? It came in 1994. In 1994, and by the way, the Republicans were still behind the Democrats then, but only by two points. But it was the biggest shift they had seen. In 1994, in the run-up to the 94 election, where the Republicans took over the House of Representatives for the first time, in 1994, there was a big Gallup polling shift. The Gallup polling shift right now looks very similar to what happened in 2010 and more so 1994. If that holds, if that holds, the Republicans will sweep the House, the Senate, governor's races, and state legislative races. We don't know that it'll happen. Maybe the polling is wrong. Now is the time Democrats start saying the polling is wrong. But this looks to be a momentous election year for the GOP. There's a corollary here, twofold. The shift back to the Republicans has happened as Donald Trump has faded. As Donald Trump has faded away, the Republican Party seems to be surging and the Democratic Party receding as Joe Biden is their face. Now, the media would have you believe repeatedly that Donald Trump uh, clings to power in the GOP, that Donald Trump is the dominant force within the GOP, and to be sure, there is some data. There is some data here. If you're listening to me right now, and you are 50 years or older, particularly 55 and older, then you still believe Donald Trump is the leader of the Republican Party and you resent like hell any usurpers. If you are younger than that, if you're in your 40s, your 30s, your 20s, you are less likely to be looking forward to the return of Donald Trump. It is a demographic thing. And even then, among the 50 in a higher crowd, the 50 and older crowd, there's a real division there. 60% of Republicans say they want Donald Trump to run again. He is the leader of the party. That's down from 90% in November of last year, or November now of 2020. It's down from 75% after January of 2021 to 60%, according to the polling. Averages. Averages are a little better indicator than individual polls. 60%. So slightly less than two-thirds of Republicans believe Donald Trump is the leader of the party. 
that's actually fallen significantly in a year and a half. Uh, the, the people most likely to still believe it are over 50. Younger people are moving on fairly rapidly within the GOP. This is not, some of you are going to send me hate mail and say this is all about I hate Donald Trump. Not true. Just follow along and listen to me here before you rush to your keyboards. Donald Trump had a rally in Arizona over the weekend. I only know about the Donald Trump rally in Arizona over the weekend because the people who hate Donald Trump felt compelled on social media, CNN and MSNBC, to tell us all what he said. The people who are most likely to talk about Donald Trump at this moment are the diehard Trump supporters, the the people who made their name uh, riding Donald Trump's coattails and therefore they can't let him go because he made them. They have the tiger by the tail. They're not really an independent voice. They, They can't let go of Donald Trump because if they let go of Donald Trump, they're afraid people will let go of them. But more so, that includes members of the media who hate Donald Trump. The Trump haters are more likely to talk about Donald Trump right now than anyone else. The members of the media who despise Donald Trump and are convinced he's an authoritarian force ready to take over America, they are the ones who are most obsessed with letting you know what Donald Trump has said. Everyone else is moving on. There are these series of stories in the press about Donald Trump versus Ron DeSantis. And, oh, my gosh, Donald Trump hates Ron DeSantis. And what's really happening here, by the way, um, the the latest headline is, it's actually the Trump people believe it's Mitch McConnell spreading these rumors to sow division between Trump and DeSantis. That's all BS. I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's members of the media who are broken, who hate Donald Trump and are scared to death of Ron DeSantis. And they are trying to start a feud between Trump and DeSantis. They are trying to get Donald Trump to openly turn on Ron DeSantis to hurt Ron DeSantis in 2022 because they know if he wins in 2022, Ron DeSantis right now is on course to be the Republican nominee in 2024. Now, there are plenty of other people out there, not an endorsement. It's just the reality of things. The way it's charting right now, if DeSantis wins in 2022, he's the odds-on favorite in 2024. The only way to stop DeSantis in the minds of these people in the media is to start a feud between Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump right now, which is why there's this whisper campaign in the press. Oh, Donald Trump, he feels slighted by Ron DeSantis. Donald Trump feels disrespected. All of these other candidates seem to be waiting. Ron DeSantis doesn't seem to be waiting. Why is Ron DeSantis waiting? He's stepping on Donald Trump. He's ungrateful. He would never have become governor in the first place, but for Donald Trump. By the way, you think I'm talking off the top of my head there. To some degree, I am. But those are all things that have been said by blue check mark members of the media in the past 72 to 96 hours on Twitter. I've read them all. They are convinced the way to stop Ron DeSantis is to pick a fight between him and Donald Trump. And if they can do that, they might destroy Ron DeSantis in 2022. With Donald Trump out of the picture, The percentage of Americans who identify as Republicans is now larger for the first time in years than Democrats. So it's no coincidence and no surprise that the people who are most likely to start talking about Donald Trump and putting him in the spotlight are the people who hate him the most. And I see people all the time say, but majority of Republicans still want him to come back. So back during the 2015-2016 campaign season, a friend of mine, Selena Zito, great reporter, 
coined a phrase that was widely vilified and mocked. That people take Donald Trump seriously. They don't take him literally. And a lot of people on the left ridiculed her to no end, savaged her on social media. There were entire Twitter accounts created to try to ruin Selena Zito. But she had a point. People who are supporters of Donald Trump, they don't genuinely take the crazy things he sometimes says literally. They do take him seriously. When Donald Trump says he's going to make the Mexicans pay for the wall, no one really believed of his supporters that Mexico would write a check. What they knew is that it meant Donald Trump was signaling he is committed to building this wall in any way, shape, or form. And people who heard it said, what? He, he can't have Mexico take it. We all knew this. Trump supporters knew it. They knew he couldn't make Mexico write the check. They didn't take him literally, but they took him seriously by talking about this issue in that way with that level of hysteria and hyperbole. They took him seriously that he was committed to the wall, not literally, but seriously. At this point, there are so many people saying we have to keep talking about Donald Trump because 60% of the Republicans wanted to be back in charge. 60% of the Republicans. These are people who you should take seriously, not literally. When the pollsters call, of course, these people are going to have Donald Trump's back because he had their back. But you don't go from 90% support to 60% support in about a year without there being a pretty big recognition and shift coming. And, you know, if the Republicans were to back Donald Trump and put him back in the White House, they'd be cutting off their nose to spite their face because historically presidents do get second terms. Since World War II, presidents get second terms unless there's major economic catastrophe. Jimmy Carter, George H.W. Bush, and Donald Trump all have the economy in common. It costs them their second term. You put Donald Trump back in the White House, you are foregoing the ability to have another term. He only gets four years and that's it. When you put a Josh Hawley, a Ron DeSantis, a Nikki Haley, a Christy Noem, somebody like that in, they could potentially get eight years. Take these supporters seriously, not literally. They have his back because he had their back. It doesn't mean it's going to hold up when they actually get in the ballot box. And the people who are most obsessed with Donald Trump right now, the people who can't stop talking about him, other than a fringy core, that could cost the GOP, frankly. Donald Trump's core supporters could cost the GOP Georgia. They could get Stacey Abrams elected. They could keep Raphael Warnock in power. Donald Trump supporters have the power to get Democrats elected, even if they don't necessarily have the power to get their own people elected. So you still have to treat them gingerly if you're a politician. But there are less and less of them every day. The loudest pro-Trump voices in America today are the people who hate him in the media, who are obsessed with him, who tell us all what he says. Why? Because it helps the Democrats to keep Donald Trump at the forefront of people's minds. So as the Gallup poll has come out and said more Americans now identify as Republican than Democrat, you can expect CNN and MSNBC to go back to -to wall-to-wall coverage of what Donald Trump says and thinks on a daily basis because they think it will help the Democrats to do so. I want to cut corners and just get to the chase. A lot of you hear podcast ads and radio ads for Bull and Branch, and you're thinking, eh, they're just telling you it because they're getting paid. I'm actually telling you it because I'm a customer. We actually have Bull and Branch sheets, and yes, they are an ad. Yes, this is an ad, but yes, 
I really am a customer. I only like to do ads for companies that I really like, and I love Bull & Branch. So does my wife. My wife actually heard the ads, and she wanted to try the sheets, and now they are the sheets at our house. Bull & Branch does not cut corners. They make super soft, wonderful sheets. They use the softest organic cotton they can find. They get better with every wash. They soften and soften and soften, and they only use 100% sustainable raw materials. They're the first fair trade certified manufacturer of linen. You can feel as good about your Bull & Branch sheets as they feel against your skin. They are so soft. They don't get too hot. They don't get too cold. They're just great. And every wash improves them. That, I'm telling you, is one of the coolest things about these sheets. It's like sleeping on a new bed every time you wash the sheets. It's great. Now, you can experience the best sheets you've ever felt at bowlandbranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use the promo code ERIC at checkout. That's bowlandbranch, B O L L. A-N-D branch.com promo code Eric E-R-I-C-K. Well, let me play you some audio here. You're not going to like uh, Larry Summers, who's the president of Harvard. He was the um, uh, economic advisor to Bill Clinton and to uh, Barack Obama. Listen to this. We are basically moving towards uh, higher entrenched inflation. It's there in expectations. It's there in wages. It's there in uh, labor shortages. It's there in the pervasive pattern across uh, many different uh, prices. And people try to excuse it by picking this figure and that figure from uh, month to month. But we've got an overheated economy. Got an overheated economy. We're going to have inflation around for a while, folks. The White House is announcing uh, just in the last 15, 20 minutes, they're going to shake up their communications message. That's right. New messaging for the White House is coming. Maybe they will drop the voting rights nonsense. We're going to get into that here later. Uh, They're not going to be able to change. If we're honest, they're not going to be able to change unless they change the people. And they're not willing to change the people. Because they're not willing to change the people, they are going to have just a disastrous time of it. Uh, I mean, this is fundamental. It's basic politics here. When you have the same people doing the same stuff over and over and over and over again and you get the same results, well, obviously, you're going to continue to lose. But if you want to get the new results, these people are committed progressive partisans. They're not going to be able to help themselves. They're not going to be able to change up the message. And that really is significantly part of the problem here. It's insane for the White House to think they can do this. But, of course... When the staff is in charge of the president, the president isn't going to fire them. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. It is my show nationwide from Atlanta, Georgia. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I'm going to wade in here. Dangerous ground. Prepare yourself. If you don't know, most of you probably do know, but if you don't know, I grew up in the Middle East. I grew up in Dubai when I was a kid on more than one occasion, our school was closed down because terrorists, Islamic terrorists tried to blow us up. I remember one time very distinctly, we were gone for three days, evacuated in the middle of the school 
because Hezbollah decided that we needed to go. In Abu Dhabi, the capital of the United Arab Emirates, the American school there had a tank parked out front. There was a time when I was a kid when we would go to school and there would be guards at each gate and they would search everything. You could not come into school without the guards searching everything, including your sandwich. I stopped bringing food to school after he opened my sandwich one day to see what was inside of it. I've lived in the Middle East. I have experienced what countries do to prevent terrorism. I have known people who were killed on planes that terrorists exploded. I take it very seriously. Many of us remember 9-11, and we remember it was Islamic terrorists who did that. And we remember the aftermath of the repeated attempts to blow up planes, the shoe bomber and others. We remember the Islamic terrorist who attacked the nightclub in Orlando. We remember the Islamic terrorist in San Bernardino, California. It is remarkable to me to this day that ISIS claimed the Las Vegas shooter as their own, and we still don't really know why he did what he did. But I say that because ISIS frequently disavowed terrorists, even successful ones. ISIS, because lying is not good, they would say, nope, that wasn't one of ours, even after after the person said they were working on behalf of ISIS. And yet the... Las Vegas shooter who killed all those people out there during that concert never said anything, and ISIS came out and said he was one of theirs. And yet, we've all moved on and pretended that didn't happen, and it did. Over the weekend, a British man, an Islamic radical, let's just say it what it is, an Islamic radical, stormed a synagogue in Texas. His sister was a female Al-Qaeda member. She's uh, in prison in Texas for plotting to kill Americans. And he wanted her released. That was his demand. He wanted his sister, the terrorist, released. And he was going to blow up the Jews in the synagogue to get it done. Thankfully, the rabbi had a good head on his shoulders. He was able to get some people to freedom. He was willing to risk his own life. The man's a hero. And thankfully, the only person who died was the terrorist. Now, I bring all of this up to say, when your first reaction to this is, we can't say he's an Islamic radical because there might be anti-Muslim hate. You're doing life wrong. We should not have anti-Muslim hate in this country, to be sure. We shouldn't. But also, we should be mindful of the fact that there is evil, and we should not nuance around evil because we're afraid of the sensibilities of other people. We should be willing to say it. The FBI agent decided to say that they, they they don't understand why the guy targeted the synagogue, the president of the United States. 
did the same thing. That, uh, we, that we have no idea why. We have no idea why. We do know why. And the fact that they're not willing to say it is a problem. The fact that they're not willing to be honest is a problem. The fact that they're not willing to speak, it's, it's like Voldemort. We can't say the guy's an Islamic radical because some people might hate Muslims. We should be willing to call it what it is. We should be willing to speak its name. We should not nuance around these things. In New York City, Michelle Alyssa Go, a 40-year-old, was pushed onto the tracks of an oncoming train at the Times Square 42nd Street subway station. I've been there. She was pushed onto the tracks in front of the train and was killed by the train that ran her over. Would a white man in Atlanta walked into a spa in North Atlanta and began murdering the people. It started a chain of events wherein anti-Asian hate became a prominent theme. Turns out the man was not killing the people in the spa because they were Asian. He was sex addicted struggled with his sex addiction and would go to the massage parlor for sexual encounters and decided he needed to kill everybody there. The man was deranged, had nothing to do with anti-Asian hate. But it became a big thing about, oh, 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 this was all anti-Asian hate. We got to do something. We got to do something. And then a series of incidents came out of individuals attacking Asian people in San Francisco, in New York, and elsewhere. And they were <clears throat> non-white. For someone who says we shouldn't nuance, here I am nuance. You might as well say young black men, in some cases older black men, attacking Asians, in some cases killing them or causing injury. And suddenly... When it was uh, black people attacking Asian people and not the white guy in Atlanta who wasn't attacking them because of Asian hate and the others were, it kind of went away, didn't it? Did you know they've arrested someone in New York for shoving Michelle Alyssa Go onto the tracks in front of the oncoming train? The man's name is Simon Marshall. He's 61-year-old black man who is homeless. Now, race shouldn't matter here to be sure, except... Notice you're not hearing a bunch of stop anti-Asian hate stuff now. You're not hearing a bunch of stop the anti-Asian hate stuff. Why? Why are you not doing it? Because when it was a white guy in Atlanta who was not gunning people down because they were Asian, but because he was a sex-addicted insane man, it was all about lecturing us on stopping anti-Asian hate. And now suddenly you have a group of black men in San Francisco and New York who kill a bunch of Asian people, who assault them, who beat them to a bloody pulp, and we're not talking about anti-Asian hate anymore. Isn't that curious? Isn't it curious? 
You know, in Texas, they're calling the terrorist there who got killed in the synagogue a British national. Local news coverage, national news coverage, they keep referring to the guy as a British national. Yes, but it's a little more than that, isn't it? He's also an Islamic extremist. Weird how it only impacts us when it's white people who are the bad guys, and then we can have these conversations. Weird. On CNN, as it was happening live, they had on political contributors. One of them, I don't have the audio, unfortunately. I, did, I forgot to get Charlie to get it. But one of the commentators, while it was still ongoing with people in the synagogue, was speculating it was a white nationalist. It could be a white supremacist who was trying to gun down the synagogue. Because, you know, that has happened. That has happened. We've had white supremacists shoot up synagogues. The moment it became clear what the demands were, it was suddenly a British national. What were the demands? He wanted his sister, an Al-Qaeda member, out of prison. He wanted his Al-Qaeda-supporting sister out of prison. After that moment, it became, he sounds like he has a British accent. And then it was a British national. Every news organization in America who calls him a British national and not an Islamic radical does a disservice to the truth. Is it any wonder people go down rabbit holes these days when the media itself can't be honest about this stuff? Now, why is this? This is how pervasive intersectionality and critical theory have become in the press. As we've all become postmodern, in postmodern critical theory, intersectionalism, minorities cannot be violent to minorities. If a minority is violent to another minority, when I say minority, I mean non-white. What it is, is they are lashing out against white supremacy. So when the black man shoves the Asian woman in front of an oncoming train and kills her, it's because he's been oppressed by whitey. So we can't talk about stop Asian hate because it's a non-white person doing it and non-white people can't be racist. The intersectionalists say so. And the media has bought into it. When the white guy shoots up the Asian massage parlor and it has nothing to do with their race, well, you know, he's lately a racist because he's a white guy. The problem here is when the Islamic radical shoots up the synagogue. He's not doing it because of white suppression. He's doing it because of a perverse interpretation of his own religion. But it's happening against the Jews. The media doesn't know what to do with that. And the media is far more worried about anti-Islamic pushback than they are violence against the Jews because, let's be honest here, a lot of the media says, well, it's just white people. And what happens is we have a growing anti-Semitism in this country. It is among white supremacists and white nationalists, many of whom are on the alt-right, by the way, but also on the progressive left. There is a growing intolerance of Jews in this country. 
And the media doesn't know what to do with it because it flies outside the norms of how the left explains uh, racial and ethnic hatred these days in terms of intersectionality. They don't know what to do with it, and so they can't be honest and covered. This is why intersectionalism and critical theory and postmodernism are all bad because you're confronted with a story like this with growing anti-Semitism from the left against Jews in this country and around the world, and the media can't tackle the problem because it doesn't fit the narrative. And if it doesn't fit the narrative, they have to ignore it. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day after this happened, who is Jewish, who says he has not been to synagogue once in the last five or six years without making sure he was armed. I was at a um, Jewish community center in Atlanta a while back. I was stunned by the level of security. And I was commented to a friend of mine who's a rabbi. And he said his temple has had to up their security in the last few years because of threats and hostility to them. And it's not coming from white supremacists. To be sure, it can, and it has, in recent memory, been a bunch of white supremacists. But it's a whole lot of hatred out there for the Jewish community and for the media to take a story like this and say, we don't know why the Islamic radical targeted the synagogue on a Saturday while they were at prayers is a damning indictment on the American media's unwillingness and inability to deal with truth when it doesn't fit their intersectional narratives, just as notice the silence in the national press about Michelle Alyssa Goh, who died when being pushed in front of an oncoming train because it happened to be a homeless 61-year-old black man who did it. And my goodness, that doesn't fall in the narrative, so we can't cover it in the press. Intersectionality and critical theory have broken the American media, the same media that pushes back and says critical race theory isn't a thing in our schools, even when it's put in print. It's a damning indictment on people's claims to truth these, these days that they can't embrace, acknowledge, or sustain, or have a conversation about the truth. Now, let me talk to you about the truth about the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. It's a great little product. You can hold it in the palm of your hand. You can plug it in. It's very portable. I use them in my kitchen because we don't have an exhaust fit in our kitchen anymore. And it cleans the air. It doesn't mask the air. You know, I'm in an evangelical church. You know what that means? Essential oils. A lot of people use them to mask odors in houses, among other things. Apparently, they cure cancer if you listen to some people. No, they don't. Nonetheless, you don't have to mask the odors. You can eliminate the odors with the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. The tobacco odors, the pet odors, even the bacteria, the mildew, the mold, the pollen that floats in the air. And it's filterless. You don't have to get a subscription for new filters. You just wipe it out on occasion. And right now you can get three of them. You can get all three of them for less than $200, saving $200 and get free shipping by going to EdenPureDeals.com. Click on Eric Erickson. Put them in, put them in your cart. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the three-pack. At checkout, use the discount code ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3. You will get three of them for less than $200, saving you $200, and you get free shipping at EdenPureDeals.com. Click on Eric Erickson, put them in your cart. The discount code is ERIC, and the number three, ERIC3. Hello there. Let's see if I can squeeze in a phone call here real quick. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Jerry, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. 
Hey, thanks, Eric. Hey, real quickly, I was going to ask you a question, and, when, and then when you were talking, I came up with an answer listening to you. My question was going to be, <laughs> why do we, why, why are we on the right um, let the left and the media decide every day what the talking points or the, or the, the subject is going to be, and more importantly, what we're not going to talk about? And I came up with the answer that, is that there's no law or rule out there that says every politician has to answer a question that the media asks them. And what they need to start doing on the right is start saying, you know what, that's a great question, but you know what I'm focusing on right now? I'm focusing on this terrorist in Texas. How did he get into this country? Did he come through our poorest border? What's going on with that if he was on a watch list? They need to start changing the We need to start changing the narrative and not answering every question that they ask. You don't need to do that. If you want yeah, to talk I- about a subject matter, Bring that up, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think more and more of them are. You know, I always tell candidates when I was a when I was a campaign consultant, telling uh, candidates the media's job is to get you off message. Your job is to stay on message, and uh, focus that way. So, if the media asks you, "What do you think about X, Y, and Z?" you say, "Well, I'm actually focused on this, that, and the other." And they they push you and they push you, and and you just keep talking about your message. You ignore them. And, you know, the media has a hard time now with the narratives more and more because they've got Fox News to contend with, which has a larger audience than the other networks combined, except ABC, CBS, and NBC uh, is a particularly problematic territory because uh, so many Americans get their news from those three networks. By the way, uh, Lister sent me an email and said that the the terrorist uh, in Texas, that the woman was not his literal sister, just his sister-in-arms with al-Qaeda, so clarification for you guys on that the whole thing though with the media and their willingness to dodge on these issues is absurd and at least there's a growing conservative media out there from newsmax and fox news and political websites and even some social media for conservatives to get around it we're still able to win despite all of the attacks and narrative controls of the press and you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution. If you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business, First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan, say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com.